Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello, Cove Church. Uh, So great to be with you today as we continue to talk about the values of our church. Uh, As many of you know, I love to mow my lawn. Uh, I start out by edging, followed by string trimming, followed by mowing, and then using the blower to clean things off. I make sure to mow different directions at different times so the grass blades don't get stuck moving the same direction. I I fertilize. Clover and dandelions have no chance in my yard. They they will go away. I monitor the water level. I, I make sure to increase the amount as temperatures increase. And I want to make sure to get maximum greenness and benefit from that. I use racing fuel in my lawnmower. I actually do, because they say it makes your lawnmower last longer. Oh yes, I love to mow my lawn. And there is a moment for me every time, after I'm done with all of the lawn mowing process, that I will put the tools away, I will stand in front of my yard, and I will take it all in. Ah, it is finished, and it is good. I'll say to myself that you've done the job. You've completed. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I believe it is that moment that is at the core reason that I love to mow my lawn. Because it's one of the few times in life that I can look at something and say it started out one way and now it's better. I can just objectively see that truth. I immediately see the result of my work. Here's the problem. The bulk of my life isn't like that. Because much of my life, just like yours, is all about relationships, isn't it? And for me, as a pastor, it's often about who's growing in relationship with Jesus, who's connecting to the life of, and the fabric of the church. And guess what? Those are hard things to see. They're hard things to quantify. Anyone who works with people knows there's, there's never a moment where you sit back and you look at that relationship and go, that's it, it's complete. Mission accomplished. We've got it taken care of. There's nothing more to do. It's over. It, it's, it's done. The work is finished. That never happens in relationships. Relationships aren't like that. Yet, as we mentioned in value number two, relationships are the thing that matters most to God. So there is this tension in life with God between engaging things that are easily seen, easily measured, the stuff that I can do, and engaging in the stuff that is unseen. Yet it is vastly more important stuff. The stuff that is about being, not doing. That is what we are going to look at as we turn our eyes to this week's value. Value number four, being before doing. This is what it says. We believe that being with Jesus is foundational to doing for Jesus. This is why religion so easily emerges in us as people. Religion gives us the stuff to do in order to feel like we're accomplishing for God. 
here's the list of behaviors, dress this way, walk this way, talk this way, and it's in all of that doing that it's supposed to somehow make us right with God. And yet we know the truth, and it's this. It will never be our doing that accomplishes our redemption, only our acceptance of what Jesus has already done. And that acceptance is not appropriated through doing for Jesus. It is appropriated through being with Jesus. It's a relationship. And again, it's hard to measure. It's hard to see. I'd much rather show God, here's, here's what I did. Here's the lawn that I mowed for you, God. See how it's complete? It looks good, doesn't it? How can I prove that I've actually been with Jesus? How can I reveal the inner workings of a relationship? The outward works, they, they let me see what I've done. Yet there is a continuous call from God for this inward work to remain close to God. It's a tension we live in. And it's that tension that I want us to engage in today as we look at a passage where Jesus plainly speaks to this, in, this essential truth of his kingdom. It is a call to be with him. Now, what's included in that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's the first thing. Being with Jesus calls us to pruning. Being with Jesus calls us to pruning. We're going to be in John 15, starting in verse 1 through 2. Let's read it together. Big voices go. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. So this week, um, I got to experience my 49-year-old man checkup. Uh, which actually involves some fairly invasive camera work, if you know what I mean. Uh, it's pretty much kind of your 100,000-mile tune-up. Uh, you know, they're checking the plugs. They're doing the undercarriage spray. It's, it's pretty detailed work. And I told them, the only way we're doing this is if I'm out. Okay? I, I don't want to remember any of it. In fact, I, while I was in the process, I asked the nurse, is there any way to make it so none of you all remember this too? Could we get one of those like men in black, like red dot things, just wipe everyone's memory after this? I don't want anyone to remember this event. And she was, she was kind. She said, actually, I, probably one of us should be awake for this. And so I said, all right. But I didn't want any, I wanted to be out. And I, I'm glad I don't remember it. But I approached it that way for a very simple reason. I don't like pain. I don't like pain. Which is a bummer for me when I read here that Jesus is talking about pruning. Ugh. That this image points to, to parts of a plant being cut off, removed by a sharp instrument, uh, using pruning shears on branches over and over and over. I've done this. Many of you have done this. And, and I know that plants don't have vocal cords. But if they did, I, I think when we do this, you'd probably hear a tiny little plant scream. There's a little something in the pruning. I, I think if, if plants could, they would take their little branches and they would curl them up and say, no, no, I don't want you to prune that. I, they, they'd be like, hey, I, I, that, that branch had two flowers on it last year. Don't take that one off. I'm sure if they could, that's what plants would be doing. Why? Because that's what I would do. Uh, that, that's, in fact, what I do. 
when God approaches my life and I say to God, don't, don't take that, God. Uh, I like that. Uh, don't, if you take away that, what will I have? If you remove that, that piece of security in my life or that place of identity or that place of comfort, what will I do then? You mean I'll just, I'll just have you? And God says, exactly. Watch what happens when I alone am your source. And yet, that, that state of existing with Jesus really doesn't come naturally to us. It, it's not our default. In, in fact, we naturally tend to grow in the wrong directions. We tend to produce dead branches. We tend to produce anemic fruit. And God says, I made you for so much more, so we're going to do some pruning. Now, two purposes from pruning that we see here. First is removing what's not alive, what's dead. And second is making space for what is alive, more space for what is alive, which means then, guess what? Even the good things in our life will get pruned. Even the good things in our life will be pruned in order to bear more fruit. That's one of the basics of being with Jesus everyone gets pruned. Yay! <laughs> Even the good branches. What this means is that a life of following Jesus involves a lifetime of pruning. But here's the amazing thing about God. God is the master gardener. He knows how to prune. He knows when to prune. He knows what to look for. Maybe you've watched a person in their yard trim a rose bush down to the ground only to see it bloom with, with twice as many flowers the next year. This is what God wants to do with us. Maybe some of you, you feel like I am that rose bush. I've been pruned down to the ground. I'm just a stump. That's all that's left. But see, the master gardener sees you not just for what you are today. He sees you for what you'll be tomorrow after his pruning. Maybe it's a great season for you. Lots of fruit in your life going on. Just, it's just great. Guess what? God is so good, he will actually prune you to make even more fruit. <laughs> there will never be a point in your life where we're like, finished work, God. No improvements needed here. Perfection has arrived. All done. No, no, that's where God will reach for the pruning shears. And he'll address that branch of arrogance. Let's just trim that off, shall we? To be with Jesus is to be pruned. And to trust God that in that pruning, he will bear much fruit. Being with Jesus calls us to pruning. That's the first thing. Here's the second. Being with Jesus invites us to persist. Invites us to persist. John 15, 3 to 6. Let's read it. Big voices go. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. 
Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. The Greek word for remain is actually uh, called meno. Uh, it means to stay, to persist. It's actually what I have tattooed here on my arm. This is the vine, and within the vine is that word meno, to remain. It's embedded there. It serves for me both as a declaration, but also as a challenge to myself personally, because I see from this passage how vital abiding is, and I also see in myself how easily I slip away from that. Yet we're called to persist, to remain, to meno, to actively stay close to Jesus, yet still, I can often leave him behind. See, that's the thing about living sacrifices. They have this tendency to crawl off of the altar. You know, I had this horse when I was growing up. I mentioned before Wally. He was, uh, it was an Appaloosa, full Appaloosa, all just black and white spots. He was like the horse version of a couch potato. I mean, if he could have had a couch and, and potato chips and a beer, that would, that would be Wally. He was like that. And uh, he loved food, he loved grain, he loved hay, he loved carrots. And food was in the barn. For us, our barn was just kind of this covered shed, but that's where he knew the food was. And that knowledge made Wally what they call barn sour, which meant if I was riding him, if I was riding away from the barn, he would go so slow. Like, it was all I could do to kick my legs to try to get him to trot just to get away from the barn. If he couldn't see the barn, it was like, that's not the direction I want to go. You're taking me away from food? No way. But the moment I turned him towards the barn, it was, it was like the Kentucky Derby. He, like, left a vapor trail through the sagebrush. Just boom! We were just, it was, it was on at that point when he could see food ahead of him. That's how motivated he was to get there. Wally made it very clear... <laughs> that he was not interested in following me. He was very much interested in following himself. And sadly, I see much of myself in Wally. Maybe you do too. See, I'm convinced of this truth. The hardest task of discipleship is not the work required for us to do. No, the hardest task of discipleship is the work required for us to stay to stay close, to persist, to remain with Jesus, to remain abiding in the vine, to not run for the barn when Jesus is saying, would you come with me instead? That we all have this tendency to go our own way, as the book of Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him, being Jesus, the inequity of us all, that it was actually my unwillingness to remain close to Jesus that ultimately placed Jesus on the cross. So our work is not so much go and do, but stay and abide. That's why this value of being before doing exists, because as a church, we want to create a culture of abiding. 
In fact, over the last two years, we've implemented many things to, to make abiding a part of our culture. Pastor Brandon uh, mentioned last week about our monthly days as a staff with Jesus. We schedule and have, have a true weekly Sabbath for our staff uh, every week for a, a day off type of Sabbath. And to continue that, uh, that desire and that design, we have implemented what's known as sabbatical, which really is an intentional rest from the work of ministry leadership in order to invest in the work of abiding. In fact, Leviticus 25 talks about this principle in reference to the soil and the land. It says, for six years you work the crops, planting and harvesting, but on the seventh year you rest. And so as a church, we've implemented that same principle, that we would take an appropriate sabbatical essentially about every seven years. As, as a leader in our church. Which means then that Paula and myself will be taking a sabbatical, our sabbatical, this summer. Because, in fact, I'm overdue. We were supposed to take it last summer, but COVID happened, and that was not a good time to take a sabbatical. But also we're overdue because in 25 years of ministry, we've never taken a sabbatical. For us, basically every seven or eight years would be uh, a transition point in ministry. We'd either go start in a new ministry or start a new church plant. But there was never a gap, never a rest. And in that pace, we have sensed God calling us to greater health, greater fruit, and greater trust. And this is part of our pruning, which is what sabbatical really is all about. So really, as a way of informing our church, all of you, Paul and I will be taking a sabbatical this summer starting June 21st. We'll return on September 21st. And this sabbatical is all about trusting God for greater kingdom health. Now, in saying that, I also realize that the word sabbatical, for some, can carry some confusion or even some concern. Understand that? Let me try to address some of that. Let me start by telling you what this sabbatical isn't. First, it's not reactive. It's proactive. It's not reactive. It's proactive. It's not, oh no, Pastor Aaron's in crisis. Something's wrong. He's dying on the vine. Something's bad behind the scenes that he's not telling us. We got to get him out of here. This is not, that is not what this is. No, this sabbatical isn't a reaction to anything. We've been working towards this for the last two years, trying to get this in our rhythms. It's proactive. It is a rhythm of health that we are trusting God to establish in our church, not just for me, but for all of our team. So that's one thing that the sabbatical isn't. Second thing sabbatical is not, it is not a precursor to me coming back in September and resigning. <laughs> Some of you have experienced that. This always happens. Pastors go on sabbatical, they come back, they resign. That is not what this is. Now, here's the caveat. We are all servants of Jesus. He gets to tell us where to go and when. That is always in play, no matter who you are. But for Paula and myself, none of that kind of transitional thinking is in our hearts. None of it. Our hearts are full with the future of this place. Cove Church, right here, being able to see the fruit of all that God has begun in this new season. We're just beginning, and we don't want to miss any of it. So this sabbatical for us is really just the alignment and the preparation 
to posture us for the next 20 years of healthy, fruitful ministry here at Cove Church. That's how we're approaching this. Third thing sabbatical isn't. Sabbatical isn't just three months of vacation. Uh, this is what they call a guided sabbatical. That means it will involve uh, rest and, and vacation. Those things will be included, but it will also involve counseling and spiritual direction and some projects. All designed to help us to unhook from the 24-7 ministry life of a pastor, that professional Christian life, and to rehook into what it simply means to be God's child and nothing else, to abide in the vine. For me, it's to connect more with Jesus and more with Paula and more with my kids and more with my friends. God has actually worked it out for us to start the sabbatical. The, the day it begins, we'll end up in, in Orlando, Florida at Disney World, and I'll end my sabbatical in Alaska, okay, with, with friends there. So talk about the bookends of geography. That's how this begins and ends for us. And I will spend a lot of time in between with Paula and with my family and with my friends. Um, because being with, we're people folks, right? We like to be around people. So being around people fills us. So we may end up seeing some of you during the summer when this happens. And I don't want you to kind of freak out about that. What do I do? It's very cool. You just have to avoid all of my trigger words, you know, church, uh, ministry, pastor, greeter, anything like that. Just avoid the trigger words and you'll be fine. <laughs> No, you don't have to worry if we see you. It's going to be cool. Um, you don't have to avoid any of that. We can engage. Um, we're, we're there. If, if you see us, it means we're excited to be with people in that moment. In that, I would also say this. I would also say how grateful I am to be a part of a church that truly values the healthy rhythms of grace and sabbatical that God has given us the rhythms of life that we're supposed to have. And I'm also so grateful that our church has a staff that I completely trust to handle all the things that come up in ministry life, to handle them well and wisely and graciously while I'm gone, while Paul and I are both gone. Uh, Pastor Brandon will be essentially occupying my role for our sabbatical time along with great input from our advisory team and our shepherd team. And I know they will do this so well. And, and as, as, as excited as I am about that, if I'm honest, I would tell you, I still, there's, there's fears that want to, to settle in sometimes. Not healthy fear, it, it, it's, it's, it's really not even truthful fear, but, but still, fear that I would invite you to pray with me around. And the biggest fear really that I'm fighting is, is, is knowing that for our church finances have, have been tight during COVID. And my, the fear is, well, what if they get tighter <laughs> in the summer, you know, when I'm gone and, and, and I'm out sabbaticaling and then the team has to figure out how to make ends meet, you know, and, and they feel that pressure. And I want to, I want to help carry that and I won't be there to help. And that's, that's what gets to me. And yet I'm reminded then that that is the very purpose of the sabbatical principle. That God is saying, don't plant that field. Let it go fallow and rest. Why? Because of this truth. When we answer God's call to rest, we lean on God's hand to replenish. In sabbatical, we're saying to God, you are my 
provider. You are my source. So I stop the frenzied pace in the knowledge that trusting God accomplishes more than I ever could. It's yet another example of God's call for us to remain in him, to persist in being close to him, because being with Jesus invites us to persist. It's the second thing. Here's the last thing. Being with Jesus enables us to produce. Enables us to produce. John 15, 7 to 8. Let's read it. Big voices go. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I have to move quickly here uh, as we're finishing up the message, but I do hope you see it. That if, if we would say yes to this pruning, yes to this abiding, that Jesus will allow us then to bear fruit, much fruit, to produce. As it is said, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, but in Jesus, there's nothing we can't do. And it says, if you remain, whatever you wish, it'll be done. And in that, we will bear much fruit. This is what being with Jesus makes possible. Yet too often, I think we try to make bearing fruit be our job. You know, like if I can just work up enough fruit, that, that's what I need. You know, so you're just working constantly, just apple, you know, that kind of thing, you know, mm, tangerine, you know, mm, watermelon, you know, we're just working it, trying to work up the fruit. Making fruit isn't our job. Bearing fruit is. It's a difference. Our job is to abide in God. God's job is to produce fruit in us. Why? For his glory for his glory. Because if I make the fruit, it's for my glory, isn't it? But if God can somehow make great fruit from this tree, then God is truly great. And God can. And God does. And God wants to do it with you. And that becomes possible when we choose to be with Jesus. Being with Jesus enables us to produce. I'll wrap up with this. There's a great story in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John are getting grilled by the intimidating religious leaders. And they keep coming back at them with this very simple truth of who Jesus is. They just keep going back. You know, I know you guys got those questions, but here's who Jesus is. And this is what what it shows the response from those intimidating religious leaders was like, it says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Ordinary men, ordinary people, yet the religious leaders said they, they were extraordinary, they were astonished. Astonished at the way they were acting. If I could just make this one observation, each and every one of you is, is talented. Every, every person engaging with this, you're talented, you're gifted. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're looking great. Maybe your hair's done, maybe not. But either way, you're, you're incredible, right? 
an incredible, unique individual. All of that being true, we know that ultimately, all of us are just ordinary people, aren't we? We're just common humanity. In fact, science has shown us that we actually share 99.9% of the same DNA as human beings. 99.9%. We have a whole lot in common. And we are, in that sense, ordinary. But this passage tells us of a conclusion that the religious leaders were able to come to. These ordinary men were living extraordinary lives because of one truth. They had been with Jesus. Will we do the same? Will we live out this value that being with Jesus is foundational to doing for Jesus? Will we choose to abide? Because God's promise for all who abide in him is that they will bear much fruit. It was true of those first disciples. Could it be true of us? Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.